This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome to What She Said, the heartbeat of Canadian women's voices with me, your host, Candace Sampson. Here, we dive deep into the raw, unfiltered stories and triumphs of women from coast to coast. This isn't just a podcast, it's a movement where empowerment and education collide and where mansplaining is shown the door. We're here to celebrate, uplift, and echo you. So get cozy, tune in, and let's embark on this journey together. Exploring the rich tapestry of women's lives, their battles, and victories, right here on What She Said. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing transgender lives, a subject I've discussed many times on this show, but one that I never truly feel comfortable discussing. I'm not trans, and I have no trans family members. So frankly, I think all of us who aren't trans need to take a seat and let trans people live their lives as freely as we live ours. But if Pierre Polyev proved anything this week, it's that they're not going to let that happen. So to be clear, I stand firmly in support of trans individuals, believing that no one should ever be coerced into denying their true self. Through my interactions, I know that trans people share the same human essence as anyone else. A rich tapestry of emotions, intelligence, desires for connection, love, and the universal struggle to navigate this upside-down world. However, the common ground tragically ends there. Every day, I find solace in the security of my identity, a luxury many trans individuals are denied. Their most intimate truths are debated and scrutinized by those in power, often without their consent or presence. The uncertainty of what each day will hold, be it threats, employment struggles, restrictions, or becoming the target of political agendas, is a constant shadow over their lives. In a world brimming with pressing issues that affect all of us, It's bewildering to me to see the disproportionate focus on trans lives, a topic that in many respects was until recently on the path to understanding and acceptance. There was a time when the journey of a trans individual, especially within the family, involved careful discussions, evaluations, and appropriate medical interventions confined to those directly experiencing it. For those who could not discuss their truth with their parents for fear of their safety, schools offered a sanctuary for trans youth to express their identity without fear. The onset of culture wars, though, has eroded these safe havens, leaving vulnerable trans youth facing dire consequences, fueled by the animosity stoked by certain political and religious figures. The spectacle of suffering naturally draws our gaze, yet too often we hesitate to offer help or seek understanding, paralyzed by the fear of societal backlash. The polarization of this issue confuses many, as it seems the voices of extremism, particularly in online settings, drown out the moderate majority who simply wish to gain understanding. The risk of being mislabeled for merely asking questions or engaging in dialogue stifles meaningful conversation, leaving many to navigate this complex topic through biased articles and opinion pieces. While I question the necessity of this debate, akin to the contention surrounding abortion rights, here we are, and we need to be able to step out of the online battle into meaningful discussions. True understanding will never come from attacking those who, despite their uncertainties or missteps, strive to comprehend. The dichotomy of us versus them only deepens when we fail to acknowledge our shared humanity. It's this quest for middle ground and open discussion that drives my guest today, a transgender woman, an outlier in the discourse finding a home in neither camp, 
Her perspective is invaluable for anyone seeking to ask questions and learn without judgment or name-calling. Meet Julia Malott. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. I am really looking forward to this discussion. I've been following you on um, X for some time now. And uh, really, actually, you came to light, oddly enough, uh, when your daughter had a a health issue recently in the hospital, um, which led me to more and more reading about trans issues. Uh, You really highlight that a lot as well. So what do you believe is sort of the current is driving the current moral panic and, you know, sort of culture wars surrounding trans individuals? Uh, that could be a doctorate thesis. That could probably be many <laughs> different doctorate theses. There is so much going I open on. with the big question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just, let's just hit the biggest one first. <laughs> no, I think there's so much going on, and that's part of the problem, right, is that with a lot of these culture war issues, trans stuff included, but certainly not just trans stuff, you have lots of people coming from very different places. and you have people who are very, very pro-trans to the point that maybe they're not willing to consider where there are concerns and maybe some overreaches that have taken place and maybe our policies are not as balanced as they could be. But then you also have people who are anti-trans who have always had contempt and disdain towards people like me. And they're always looking for any angle that they can use to gain more popular support to push forward sort of an anti-rhetoric. And so those two pressures, I would say, are always taking place in the background. And then amid it, we have where 90, 95% of us actually stand, which is somewhere in the middle of this is not an issue that's on the forefront of our minds. This is something we probably have some thoughts about. We maybe know someone who's trans who we care about. We maybe have seen a few policies that we're like, I'm not quite so sure if we've, if we've nailed it with that, but we're not kind of partisan to one side or the other. And what I've observed recently is that both sides have kind of found their talking points to dig in, to have a narrative that kind of works in the public sphere very provocatively, and it has exploded. It reminds me of where abortion was 15 years ago, or gay marriage was 20 years ago, when you know it gets framed in certain ways like pro-life or pro-choice, when really, I like to think that I am a fan of life and choice. I don't think either of those sound bad on the surface, but people find how to brand it in a way to kind of get what they want to get through, and then it becomes toxic, and people get hurt in the process. <laughs> And I think, you know, you you sort of in a roundabout way touched on, I think what a lot of people are feeling is sort of fatigue having this conversation over and over again, especially for those who find themselves in the center, like you said, who are not really sure of all the issues. But the trans population is 0.2% of, of Canada's population, and it seems to be eating up all of the headlines right now. And so... It's, it, I can understand why some might think this is just becoming too much to have to talk about on a daily basis. It gets very disproportionate coverage. I am a columnist with the National Post, and I don't want to just talk about trans matters, but yet right. every week I'm looking at what I could be covering in my next column, and there's always something new. Some new politician has said something, a province has done something, we've gone somewhere, and it just keeps staying present. But I, I like that you said fatigue, because I I do think that that is it as well. I tried to take an approach of saying we need to actually listen to all the sides. We need to actually talk about this because I don't want to be talking about this in 10 years. I don't want this (laughs) to just drag on forever. Let's have the conversation. Let's listen to all of the thoughts, even the ones that maybe I don't love to hear so that we can really work through them and wrestle with them and, and, and in good faith, find pathways forward that maybe not everyone will love, but at least creates workability. So we're not talking about this in 2035. Yeah. And I think I love that you mentioned that, by the way, because oftentimes I find myself very, um, I have an almost visceral response sometimes when politicians speak about this issue and it, it makes me very angry. And so I tend to shut out their points of view, which I really should not be doing. Hmm. And so, I mean, I should at least listen. Right. And it gets hard sometimes because you get so fired up about an issue. So, You've expressed a lot of concerns about the polarization of opinions on transgender issues. So what do you think those on the left of the political spectrum are getting wrong? And similarly, what are those on the right of the political spectrum getting wrong? Such a good question. Um, on the on the left side, especially the progressive left, what I would say we see is a lack of acknowledgement that there are risks and that this may not be the right fit for everybody. If you look 15, 25 years ago or further, 
it was hard to transition. I would argue in many ways it was too hard. People who were severely dysphoric, who knew they wanted this, who knew they needed this, would maybe not be able to because they kind of had to prove and earn the right. And, and in some cases, they literally broker it based on if they thought you'd pass. If they thought, yep, yeah, you're going to be able to pass as the, the sex that you wish you were, we'll let you. If not, we won't let you. So almost maintain that you know appearance of male and female looking the way we're supposed to in society. So it's it, we, we come from a place that I think did cause a lot of harms. However, where we moved out of that then was kind of the opposite extreme, where we said, your identity is within you. It is personal. Only you know. Nobody else can possibly know or have any say. And so we will not challenge. And so even when a child comes to a psychiatrist and says, I feel like a girl, we don't challenge. And, and I use the word challenge very carefully because I don't want to see them you know, antagonistically challenge anybody. Right. But I do want a medical professional to take that devil's advocate approach and say, are there other comorbidities going on here? Mental health is very, very complicated. And we do see lots of cases where people feel gender dysphoria for lots of reasons. And sometimes that's because of something deep set like myself that has never gone away. And when I transitioned, my mental health improved, my life improved. I am so happy. But I also know people who are suing their doctors in Canada because they had other conditions and other things going on. And none of that was vetted out because we've come to this place where we've said, you can't touch it. Identity is something only the beholder knows. And to explore that is to convert or is to be hateful towards them. Right. I read an article this morning by Faye Johnston in the Toronto Star. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see that today, but basically just, you know, paraphrasing, she's just saying, you know, if we look the other way on this, on, on trans rights right now, we're going to see a nationwide regression against all 2S LGBTQIA rights. Do you agree with that? I haven't read the article yet. Um, I, I don't, from what you said there though, I don't think that she's incorrect in the sense that there has been a very strong push from that progressive left. And Faye Johnstone is an, is an individual who's part of that push, who's very much come in and said, you have to affirm no matter what, and has not created any space for questioning or any space for conversation about what policies find the right balance. And what I've observed, and the reason why I entered this conversation was because I was very concerned that that would result in that, that regression. People would start to say, but wait a minute, when we get to the point that there is, the biological sex is treated as though it doesn't matter at all. And when we get to the point that we're seeing children who are following their friends and, and going down a pathway because it is what is cool in school and then ends up regretting it in, in later years, that's not the same as, as me. And I think that's the piece that the left misses in this. And that is that I do have a mental health condition. And, and I don't say that derogatorily, right? I don't think that any mental health conditions is, is right. a judgment against the individual, but I had mental distress. And that was why I transitioned. And there's another movement that says identity and how we see ourselves in the world is a matter of diversity, right? There's no right or wrong answers. It's a matter of self-expression. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that people should be able to express however they want. But that's different than coming from a severe place of mental health distress. And so when these two get conflated in law, when they get conflated in policy, we end up in these weird places where someone goes down a path where they're maybe a teenager, they're experimenting, they're exploring. That's great. Explore, try things out. But then we conflate them with individuals who have had severe dysphoria who maybe are appropriate to have more severe medical interventions. And then they fall into that same group and we don't distinguish and, and people have gotten hurt. And that creates a very strong argument against allowing any hormone transition for any teenager, which, which I think is a shame because I've known plenty who have been very successful down these pathways, but I do think we have to be careful. And do you think, you know, um, when Danielle Smith came out with her policies in Alberta, there was a lot of people online saying, you know, we, I hate even saying this. We shouldn't be mutilating kids and things like, like that sort of language. And the reality is, is that those surgeries under 18 can't happen anyway, right? There is so much politicalization that's taking place in this conversation. Um, currently, the clinics are not giving the bottom surgeries to anybody under 18. So what Danielle Smith has put forward would sort of solidify that. Um, and I think that's a good thing, to be honest. On the surgery side, I say surgeries are, that's huge. There are a lot of consequences. As much as you want it when you're young, there's little reason to have to do it young rather than to wait. The, the top surgeries, so the mastectomies for, um, 
for girls who want to transition to present as boys, those have been done under 18. I've known a number of individuals who have undergone those procedures. But even so, the, the language like mutilation that you mentioned too, that's part of the problem. I, in my attempt to stay in the center and talk to individuals on both sides, I have two different sets of language I have to know because one side will call it gender affirming care. The other side will call it mutilization. One side calls it child abuse. The other side calls wow. it, you know, caring. And, and even just the language of myself. Am I a transgender woman? Am I a woman? Am I a biologically identified male? Like these sides use very different languages. And I try to just stay out of that and say, look, if we want to have conversations, if we need to have conversations, then we need to listen to each other and work charitably to try to understand what we're saying and not just push any particular way of phrasing it. Family Dental Guelph is where the future of dentistry unfolds. Dr. Mandeep Johal offers an unparalleled blend of expertise combined with a vision that seamlessly ties dental health to your overall vitality. Dr. Johal doesn't just look at your teeth, she understands the bigger narrative of well-being. Delve into a world where every aspect of your health is cherished and your smile and vitality coexist in beautiful harmony. Find out more about the future of dental care today at FamilyDentalGuelph.com. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. You're in the U.S. right now. I am. I'm down in Florida today. Well, I was just going to say Florida specifically, and I was kind of surprised to hear that because I just would not have thought that would be a place you would want to go. But then you made a video uh, about how you love Southern conservative authenticity. And I also did not see that coming, I might add. So can you, so can, I think, but I thought your point was your, was well said. So I'm hoping maybe you could share a little bit of that in this podcast about why you do appreciate that Southern conservative authenticity, as you call it. I would love to. Um, I started to realize something a few years into my transition. Um, when I started transitioning, of course, I was finding affirmation in my close-knit communities that were supporting me, and it felt good, and I was really improving my mental health. And then when I started to come out broadly, when I came out at work, and when I came out in Ontario, in our culture around us, I was accepted. And and I kind of hesitate when I say that, because I was accepted in the sense that people said the right things. We uh, were very polite up in Ontario. So people would always call me a woman. They'd always call me Julia. You know, they, they assert that I'm biologically female, which is not even true, but they, they'd say the things they know they're supposed to say that make me feel good. And that felt nice to, to start with. And then I realized it prevented me from really forming deep relationships because here I was for the first time in my life being deeply authentic in a way that I had never been before because I had spent my whole life hiding everything I felt about gender. And now I'm out there with it on full display on my face for everyone to see. And some people are not comfortable with that. They might genuinely like me as a person, but they they don't see me as a woman. They, they hear my voice, they'd see my stature, they'd kind of just, I, they'd read me as a man. But they know not to say it because we don't say that sort of thing in Canada. So they'd be polite and they'd say the right things, but we wouldn't get close because there's no authenticity on their side. And so we could be courteous with one another. I could, they could be colleagues and it was fine, except that, I wasn't forming these deep relationships. And that bothered me. And I was almost feeling pretty hopeless. Like, but how am I going to really connect with people if now I'm authentic and nobody else is? And then I encountered the gender critical community. And the gender critical community is the umbrella term that I'm using here to refer to kind of everybody who has been willing to publicly express concerns at various levels with where we've taken transgender matters. Sometimes that's just a few little concerns with some policies. Sometimes that's pretty pretty extreme far-right positions. But in those communities, of course, they're, they're usually perfectly happy to tell me how they feel about me and my identity. And what I realized was that I could actually form some close friendships with people who have no issue with me as a human, 
maybe don't affirm me. They don't read me as being female, but they're willing to tell me that and take that vulnerability risk with me. And I started to form these actual friendships that were genuine and there was a lot of care in them. And for me, that was more empowering than really any other part of my transition was going, wow, like this person sees me for who I am. And this person is willing to take a risk in our relationship and tell me with love how they see me rather than just stick to the narrative they have to stick to. Um, as I started to travel down south, I would find the same thing. People down here, they're, they're open. They, they, they put those things on display in a way that we don't in Ontario. And in one sense, you need a thick skin because stuff that's said is not always pleasant. This, the, the video you're mentioning, I was in Target and there was this individual who started talking to me. She asked if I uh, knew that Jesus loved me. And very quickly, we started talking about transition stuff. And she kept challenging me on, but what's your real name? And I'm like, my name is, is Julia. Yeah, but what's your real name? And so, you know, I just pulled up my passport and, and I showed her. She's like, oh, okay. But, you know, it was a neat conversation because that's where her head is at. And I felt close to her by the end. And I really enjoyed that conversation. And I'm saddened that not just trans people, but so many people in our Northern culture don't, we don't get that chance to really connect because we just kind of wall other people off to protect ourselves. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, because this happened in a face-to-face interaction with somebody real, it wasn't online. And I find that online, any discourse gets shut down by one side or the other, right? So like if, if those on the right, you know, will, will immediately call you a pedophile or a groomer or it, it's, it's so, it's so crazy to me, you know, and, and, and then those on the extreme left sort of do the same thing. They shut down any sort of opportunity to have a meaningful conversation. And I'm curious because you mentioned you've, you've, you've developed a few friendships, uh, through having, you know, in-person dialogue with somebody over a span of time and you've become quite close. Do you feel that perhaps you have softened views along the way, um, of people who may have been much more extreme in their ideology prior to knowing you? That is the part that I wish people could see more. And they, they often don't, right? Because the really powerful discourse doesn't happen on Twitter. It happens in an Airbnb that you rent with a bunch of gender critical individuals for a protest where you stay up till three in the morning drinking wine, chatting about what it was like to have surgery, what it was like to fear my parents and their religion and all these pieces that, not that those stories haven't always been out there, but if many of the gender critical individuals have never heard that, right? Because they haven't known someone who's trans. And the stories that I've heard, the, the things that I've been able to the heart changes I've been able to experience, like they can be profound. There's one particular individual who, actually Faye Johnstone, who you mentioned, back last year, I saw them go after Faye and something they wrote. And it was pretty vile, just the language they used and the th- things that they said. Of course, they say he the whole way through. And I was, I was uncomfortable with what I read. And I met this individual about two weeks later. And I was fearful going in because I didn't know what would, what would happen, but, but I'm moderate and I listen to this individual story who has a kid who they've lost the relationship with based on how they transitioned at school and how, how things played out in their family. And I was approachable and I was honest. And this individual changed their entire approach to everything that they do in their activism. They're still against many elements of the trans movement, but they posted an article about me the next week they referred to me as she. And they said right at the top, you know, like they were feeling kinder and their heart was softened this week after talking to me. And I've noticed ever since then, interesting. the approach is different. The, the dehumanizing element, that fell away. There's still concerns about some policy, but it, it changes when you know someone. And that shouldn't surprise us. We know that the reason why gay acceptance came to be was because people we, got, we hit the point that most people knew someone who was gay and they didn't think of the horror stories they heard in the 80s of men going and raping little boys, they thought of their neighbor and the normal family that they had. And that was what came to mind. And I think we can do the same thing with trans matters. But unfortunately, a lot of the loudest, most vocal trans voices we have are pretty angry and pretty yelly. And (laughs) they're not listening themselves, which, well, I can empathize with why they're coming from where they're coming from. They get a lot of hate, as do I. But that doesn't help the average person empathize and understand the complexity of what's going on for a dysphoric individual. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to um, have a little bit of a palate cleanser here. How is Target? What about it? Because <laughs> we miss it here in K. 
Canada. And when you said you went oh, to Target, I had Target. instant jealousy. <laughs> I know, right? So that like, Target, as far as I'm concerned, is mandatory shopping here. And my daughter was so excited. Like when we're back before we come down and it's like, what do we want to hit? You know, I'm thinking that the beaches and all those things. And Target yeah. was like one of the first things that got said. I'm like, well, I will take you to a Target. That's not a problem. <laughs> Well, that actually made me laugh just uh, when you were talking because you said you went to Target and I thought, okay, there's two things I want to talk about <laughs> in this conversation But <laughs> was what did you find at Target? Anything good? Well, the yeah, most disappointing I, thing though is I use these um, these scrunchies called Invisibobbles that are just perfect for curly hair and I always get them at Target and apparently they don't carry them there anymore. So that was my disappointment on my Target shop this time. Aw. Well, I'm jealous you still got to go, so... <laughs> Let's continue with our heavier conversation uh, because wouldn't it be nice though if we were just talking about Target today, but instead we are we are really drawn into these very heavy conversations. Um, and I feel like for those of us who sort of work and live in the online space, we don't get these lighter moments a lot anymore. You know, everything is just anger and rage mm-hmm. in every tweet and every thread and post. Um, and so it's hard to insert moments of just, hey, like, how was your tra- shopping trip to Target, right? And finding that sort of that common ground. And it's frustrating. Um, I don't know if you find the same thing. I mean, obviously you must, but I, I just find it a very hard space to be anymore uh, online because we lack any sort of commonality, finding commonality be- between us all. I, I find it so concerning. Um, I have another side passion, which is reading and kind of reflecting on how social media and our constant addiction to our phones and all of these pieces are affecting my generation, but also the younger generation that my daughter's in. And it, it really, really does concern me that, that people don't have an interest in that moderation. The most challenging thing I have found with the platform I'm trying to build is how I establish getting my message out there without rage farming. Because the algorithms want rage farming. They, they want people to be angry at each other, right? Because then people share it and people get worked up. And so it would be easy if I was just going to go and go after the left or go after the right. And I really try not to do that. I try to put out almost every video I do. I will try to look, do it both sides a little bit and say, okay, well, let's look at this from either side, which means there's a small group in the middle who, I shouldn't say a small group. There's a large group in the middle who agree with me, but they're the ones who are less likely to, to, you know, repost it and kind of promote it because they're not captivated by it. And the people who are extremes on the matter, who spend their whole life in it, they they want the extreme stuff. So I, I think it's really, really harmful how we don't have this ability to just sort of get moderate messages out there the way that we we used to when it was curated by by journalists and not just kind of whoever, not just the algorithm deciding what ends up being promoted. CareToKnow.ca is a free resource where Canadians receive the latest health information, updates on new and existing treatments, and advice from Canadian doctors via email. After enrolling at CareToKnow.ca, you'll receive accurate and reliable information from trusted Canadian medical experts delivered directly to your inbox. Members can also access the website for information on a variety of health-related topics. Through resources like vodcasts, podcasts, and live webinars, Canadian experts discuss how to manage a number of medical conditions and provide the latest knowledge and advice to help you make informed decisions about your family's health with your own healthcare provider. To sign up and start learning more about the health matters that impact you most, enroll in caretoknow.ca today. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. You know, as you mentioned, you've been on the receiving end of some pretty harsh comments. Um, Even when you're not talking about gender stuff, it's just harsh 
comments towards you. So how does that kind of backlash affect the willingness of, of trans people and, and allies to speak up? And what can we do to make that better? Well, I think that taps into where we started. You, you asked me about the progressive left and what I think maybe they don't get right. And on the other side, when you look at the the center-right leaning, but not even always center-right leaning, sometimes they're, they're a bit leftist as well, but the people who are critical of gender matters is there's, there's two things going on over there. There's some people who have genuine concerns who are saying, but I'm worried about childhood regret or, but I'm really worried about some of our policies that may genuinely create some safety or fairness concerns. And they're mixed in with a whole bunch of people who despise transgender people <laughs> and are out for, you know, my blood quite literally. And, and they, they all get mixed together, which, which means that the message doesn't get out about some of the genuine concerns, but it also means that people keep falling deeper and deeper into that rabbit hole. I've seen so many people who they have a concern or two. They feel like they can't say it in the left. So they end up moving into those, those crowds and then I'll watch them over six, 12 months get deeper and deeper and deeper into conspiracy theory and this and that, because now they're in the group that all they do is share the worst examples of a trans person who once did one thing in a washroom, which, which probably did happen. But like you can, you can find that with any group of people, right? Like there's always going to be some, some bad eggs who did a bad thing. And if you're looking to demonize a group, then you're going to be able to find that. I forget what your question was. I think I completely just changed the topic here. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I was just talking about, I think people are, are afraid to weigh in online because of the backlash they might receive from, 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 from the left or the right, really. And so if you do express a more moderate, curious line of questioning or, or viewpoint, it doesn't feel like there's a safe space to do that. There's not. There, I wish I could say that there was, but there's, there's not. I am. Um very much for me, what I'm doing is also a social experiment to see what is out there and how do people respond. And I, I do get backlash from both sides. There's lots of trans activists who are very upset with me because I'm not towing the narrative that they believe all trans people should be saying that just say trans rights are human rights, which is kind of a meaningless phrase if you really decompose that and just you know kind of say those things without giving fair credence to some of the concerns. But on the other side, the, the hate is very, very intense. I get oh, hundreds of hate messages a day across the uh, various platforms that I'm on. And I'm fine with that because I put myself out there as an example to say, look, I'm being moderate. Look, I am listening. I am not coming in with a very one-sided you know, approach. I am trying to create conversation and this still happens. And I, I'm always very disappointed by the extent to which those, those gender critical crowds will completely ignore that. I'll get messages from my friends going, I'm so sorry that people are attacking you, that people are going after you, you know, your, your physicality like that. And I'm like, these are people, you, these are your friends. You follow these people too. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're letting them do that. And yet this, this is a problem. And I think it's going to, I think it just prevents us from really getting anywhere on these matters at all. As you said, people won't speak up because they're afraid to be in it. My objective has been to make an example of myself in that respect. You, you mentioned my daughter. And for me, that was a really telling experience because two and a half weeks ago, she went into the hospital for an appendectomy, mm. which we, of course, didn't know was coming. And it was... That very, is a whole other podcast. Well, it's a whole other podcast. But, <laughs> but for this one, I'll say that it was delayed long beyond what it should have been. And we were very upset about that and very concerned about the healthcare system. So we went public with it. We, I have a platform and I have a lot of connection to media and politicians. And so we went public with this message. It got picked up widely across Ontario. And what disappointed me was the, uh, the extent to which the response would go back to whether or not I am a mother, whether or not I am a parent at all whether or not, you know, and, and the physical appearance stuff and all of these pieces. And it's like, if a, if a trans person can't even be in the public in an article that never mentions being trans, because it has nothing to do with that, right. if that's what comes back, then we do have a huge problem. We are creating a climate where, where trans people are told they can't participate, at, at least and not unless they're willing to risk their dignity and, you know, their, their own mental health in terms of handling those kinds of responses. And I've developed really good techniques to, to deal with that. So I, almost voluntarily put myself out so that we can maybe use me as an example and go, okay, there is, there is a hate problem out there. And we can't ignore that as we figure out what policies are going to work going forward. You often talk about balancing the rights of, of trans kids with parents' roles and, and then everybody else's rights. So how do you juggle all these different angles in your discussions? It's 
it's so complicated. And I think in many ways, I get to take the easy way out because I can say that we need to juggle all of these different factors and not always give an answer. I think a lot of people right now want to come with the answer of what it should be. And, and I've done that with some matters. I, there's some that I do feel pretty strongly about, but on many others, I say, there's, there's some complexity here that we need to explore. I, I'm currently doing a series where I'm diving into the, the spaces conversations. And those are the women's washrooms and women's change rooms and women's sports and women's prisons and girl guides and all of these spaces that used to be brokered by sex. Now they're brokered by gender after 2016 when we changed how we interpreted the words men and women. And that continues to be a very, very hot and tumultuous topic. And my, my position on a lot of these is not we must do this given thing. It's that we need to look at this complexly. We need to say safety does matter. Fairness does matter. Dignity does matter. Agency and autonomy matter. But so does you know the, the needs of the dysphoric. That matters too. I, I love to use the washroom one as an example because so many of us, we dive very, very deeply into it because that's just how we do it, right? Men pee in this room and women pee in this room. And right. why? Why do we do that though? And maybe we should. I'm not even saying we shouldn't and we can't, but where does that come from? We have a historical context where men and women didn't work in the same rooms. Men worked in this factory and women worked here. We have contexts where they didn't, you, they wouldn't be in government together. We have a context where in the 1800s, you would have separate eating rooms called female ordinaries in hotels for women. And that, that has gone away. And so I would want to look at this and say, to the extent that there is a safety concern, that's serious. We can't ignore it like some people have done where they say, no, no man is ever going to just pretend to be a woman and go into a woman's washroom. Like that has happened. We have seen it happen. Right. But at the same time, we've got to say, and what happens to someone like Julia if I just walk into the men's washroom? Will I be safe? How is that going to play out? And we need to have all of that conversation and not just bring our own bias of how we wish, whether we like the status quo or not, and then pick the evidence that we want. So that's what I try to do. I often don't put forward answers, but I put forward the question in a way we can at least talk about it. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Do you see things becoming increasingly more polarized or do you think that there is a hope we may find some common ground here? I have some really great friends um, up in the, the upper echelons of Canadian politics and they keep me grounded because I feel like I'm down in the trenches on many of these battlefields. And so I hear the most extreme opinions. So in my world, it feels like everybody has a polarized opinion on this topic. And then I go and I talk to those, those political friends and they remind me that that's not where most Canadians are at. And so while I do think the polarization is growing, I, I remain confident that most people want a world that is compassionate towards gender dysphoric individuals like me. Most people want a world that protects their rights to steward their children. Most people want a world that you know, has, has balance in, in, in these conversations. and. I do think the polarization is picking up in those in those factions, which is now leaking out into the discourse at large. I don't even necessarily think that's a bad thing. I'm hopeful that we can get to the point that we can have these conversations. We can actually have it the way we need to have in the public so that we can land in positions that are tolerable, that, that have staying power, that are not just going with the political wind of one side or the other, so that we're not talking about this for the next 15, 20 years. And, and honestly, I think that the recent stuff in Alberta has just started to 
to, to change that climate where we can talk about it. When, when this came up in Saskatchewan in New Brunswick last year, it felt different. It felt different. Um, I myself would rarely be invited to speak on many of the center to center left media outlets. I wouldn't be invited to CTV or CBC to talk about these matters because there was that note, we only cover it from this perspective. I haven't mm-hmm. seen that this time. I've been on CBC five or six times um, with various different hosts of some of the primetime shows because I think there's that recognition that we should have this conversation and we need to be balanced. We need to, you know, be careful, but we also need to actually have it. I'd like to talk about the media. Do you think we spend too much time in the media on this conversation? You know, because we just going back to where, you know, a lot of moderate Canadians are feeling fatigued from this conversation. There's a lot of other broader, bigger and broader issues that we're not talking about enough, you know, climate change, our economy, healthcare, education, all of these things. And, and so is the media being responsible with the amount of coverage they're giving this issue as well? I think it would be fair to say that many of these social identity issues have always had an outsized share of conversation in media. Um, I do think it matters. I do think it's important to have these conversations, but you're right. You know, when you look at the impact, it gets blown out of proportion. And I think that's all of these things when it comes to transgender matters, they get blown out of proportion. You can look at a policy like prisons and say, there's some problems there. You can point to some real examples where someone has been hurt in a way they shouldn't have been. But then the conversation goes into, we've just got to talk about the unfairness of the prison system for trans with trans people, ignoring the fact that there's like 30 or 40 times as many assaults that have been conducted by the guards. And no one's talking about that. Right. No one's saying, what if we what if we had employees who didn't assault the prisoners? That would probably be a good thing. And and that conversation gets missed. And we can have both, but we definitely, I would hope, would have those conversations in proportion to the the good that can come from them. So I do think in the media, yes, these issues are weighed into too heavily. Um I don't think that's gonna change because I guess in my lifetime it seems like that's always been the case, that these are the kind of things that people want to talk about in politics more than they want to talk about the economy. I love my economics courses in university. I love reading, you know, some of the deep analysis of what's going on and different theories of Keynesian economics. But most people, I feel like that doesn't captivate them. So it doesn't sell. Do you think then that, you know, because you work, well, you write for a publication that many would deem as very right wing. What is your experience writing for the National Post? It's, it's so interesting, right? So I am, I am not a writer by trade. I have an engineering degree. Um, and I manage a, I manage a software team, not as a software developer, but in the, in that industry. And I, I started doing my video blog and I started to have my influencing platform on Twitter and the national post actually reached out to me. They saw my work and they said, we want to have some good balanced, moderate voices on this topic. And they, they have some great people on their team already who can cover it from a further right position than I am not far right, but further right. And they saw what I was doing and they thought that I would be a good fit to sometimes agree and sometimes disagree with some of their other colonists. And so I did a few pieces as a test and it was, it was doing very well in terms of fitting with what the, what the paper was looking for. So I continued. Um, I've had mixed feelings about it, to be, to be honest, in terms of there is lots of things I really appreciate about what comes out from the National Post. They have been willing to look at some angles that some of my friends and other other papers have not been willing to even touch. At the same time, there's been stuff too that I'm sometimes like, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, for me, I've been struggling with where the balance is between canceling someone and not canceling them. And of course, canceling is a charged word in and of itself. But right. on the progressive left, there's been this attitude of if you don't say the right thing, if you don't do the right thing, then then you know you you get canceled. You don't get to talk. We're not going to platform you. And in one sense, I don't think that's a good thing. In the other sense, though, I do think that some people can have opinions that are so vile, that are so dishonest, that they they maybe shouldn't be platformed. And so I have been personally working through where my balance is on that. There's been some things in the National Post that have been like, eh, I, uh, I, I don't like that my stuff is appearing alongside that particular author or that particular article. But I can say for myself that that has been, that's been rare. That has happened, but that's maybe one in 10 pieces I'm looking at, not most of them. Do you think there's anything in Canada anymore as as balanced journalism? I don't. I don't. I am um, one of my deepest concerns with how people get their news is that people have chosen their platforms. I have daily subscriptions to the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the National Post, the Economist, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, 
and the Kitchener Record, because that's where I live. And I think that's so important because they all have their own, their own lean to it. And I want to hear all of those different perspectives to really understand where people's minds are at. And, and I read other stuff too. That was, that's kind of the center stuff there. But I read some of the further left and further right stuff just to understand what is the post-millennial saying? What is the Epic Times saying? Because I want to, to really understand what where Canadians' thoughts are on these matters. And most people I talk to, they, they have one source of any. Some people, it's just TikTok at this point, but <laughs> if they have anything, yeah. they say, I listen to the CBC or I listen to the Toronto Star or I listen to Rebel News. And you know, none of those, I believe, are sufficient to give you a holistic view of these matters if that's all you're listening to. Well, you mentioned Rebel News, which is interesting because that's actually not really a news outlet. They've even themselves in court said they are entertainment. <laughs> yeah, Rebel's, right? so Rebel's that's- interesting. So that's what, but this is where the, I think the waters get really muddy right now for people is you can call yourself, a, like I could just call this what she said news. Yeah. It's not, but I, but people would think that I am a news outlet if I tagged, I t- put that name on it. And I think that's very confusing for people right now. Um, who again, like, like you and I are online all the time, but the average person may just think, oh, well, this is a, you know, they're not following them on Twitter. They're not following them, but they'll just go to their website and think this is journalism. Exactly. That, that, that is exactly it. And, and that concerns me. I, I think that there's always a place to listen to podcasts and listen to all kinds of voices, but we also need to be getting curated journalism. I've gained so much appreciation and respect for what these individuals do as I've come to work so closely with them, not just at the National Post, but also at all the other institutions that I, I do guest appearances on. And you know, there's a lot of thoughtful work of how do we find balance? What do we platform and what do we not? And while I'm not always in alignment with what a given editor might choose, I still think that that's a safer place to get your news than one person's opinion, who's just what Julia Malat wants to put up, Julia Malat puts up on her blog. And then right. what Julia Malat has a bias against, we're not even going to have a chance of looking at because, you know, it's just not going to happen. What, what I will say, though, with all of that is that I... I like that I write for the National Post because I think that's the audience that needs to hear my my message in terms of there aren't many trans voices in that area. And I get so much edification from being able to expose, be, be the first pers- trans person somebody gets to read, gets to meet, gets to know, and creating that that moderate discourse on it from, from that side of the conversation. So what keeps you awake at night and what gives you hope? in this conversation? What keeps me awake at night? I'm a great sleeper. Um, that's not that's <laughs> not a problem that I have too much of. But I would say, I'm going to answer a different question because okay. I don't get kept awake, nor do I have hope. What I have is I have drive in this conversation um, because I really want to see a world that works on this topic. Um, I'm scared for what happens with trans rights if we go the way that we're going. Um, and I think that the people who are fighting to protect trans rights are often going about it in a way that hurts it more than it helps it. And sometimes I feel alone in that respect of saying, well, I'm going to do this myself then. <laughs> I'm going to put this message out in a different way because what the activists are saying is not resonating with many Canadians in terms of how that message is being delivered. I think there's a lot of effective talking points from the anti-trans side that are are catching wind as a result of that. And I, I'm not seeing a lot of receptiveness on on their side to to change the approach to really listen to really understand where that balance might might live but for me that has always been my objective is i wanted to really really be able to create a vision for myself of what canada could be in a world that works on this topic and i've had thousands of conversations with anybody and everybody who will talk to me like i i love being in these deep gender critical circles to, to really really digest those perspectives I also love being in the trans circles to really digest those perspectives. And I, and I have hope that there is a path forward. I don't think the sides are nearly as far apart as many people think that they are. Um, right. But we need, to, we need to talk to each other first. I agree. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was an amazing conversation. And I'm thrilled that you, you uh, agreed to, to meet me here today. So thank you. And where can people keep up with you? I mean, you mentioned you're on, you're on X and National Post. Anywhere else? Yeah, so I'm on I'm on National Post. I read a weekly column there, and on X or Twitter, as I still insist on calling it, um, I'm under Alada Malada, which is terribly hard to spell, but it rhymes with my last name, so I felt obliged to pick that. But if you just search up Julia Malat, you'll find me as well. 
Um, I'm also on YouTube. Um, I post all of my videos there as well. And on Instagram, I have, I have baby channels on those two platforms because that's not where a lot of the political stuff happens. But my hope has just been to kind of get thoughtful discourse about transgender matters going everywhere. So I, I post anywhere and everywhere in order to make sure those conversations are happening. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. If today's podcast resonated with you, spread the word and share the inspiration. Don't forget to hit subscribe on What She Said across your favorite podcast platforms. Crave more? Join my vibrant community by signing up for my newsletter at whatshesaidtalk.com and let's get social on Facebook, Instagram, and X at What She Said Talk. Dive into my world a little deeper on TikTok and threads at Candace Said. And for those who love the airwaves, catch me weekly on 105.9 The Region, Blast the Radio, and 1077 Pulse FM. Until next time, keep making waves and remember, your voice matters. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.